A wedding, an awkward problem, and a miracle. Grab your Bible and let's talk. Welcome to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast, where Bible study and thought-provoking conversation lead to creative teaching. Now, here are your hosts, David and Mary Nelson. I have performed quite a few weddings in my lifetime for for people, and I can't think of a single one where everything went according to plan. There's always something that happened that was not according to plan. And, you know, most of these times, it was small things that make for memorable weddings. One particular one, it was in the summer. The air condition was not working in the church building, so it was very hot. And right in the middle of my sermon, my wedding sermon, the maid of honor just fainted. I mean, she just fell straight down, flat on her face, hitting the ground hard. So, we had, of course, we had to stop. We had to fan her, and she finally revived and rested for a bit. And then we carried on with the wedding, and everything else was according to plan. But that makes for a very memorable wedding and some laughter later on. What about the time when the bride was locked out of the church building? Oh, that was a mm, that could have been a disaster. <laughs> that could have been cuz uh David, you went and unlocked the church building. There was no one else there and you had told the bride just go on in and you and the bridesmaids can get ready there at the church building. And so that was all the plan, but unfortunately, someone in the church came by the church building and didn't realize that plan. And so they saw the door unlocked and they thought, oh, no, I must lock the building. So they locked it. And we happened to drive by there a couple of hours before the wedding. And we saw the bride and the bridesmaids on the steps, some in tears because they couldn't get inside. So luckily, we did get that unlocked and time for them to get ready. But ooh, that was close. But you're that, right. That, Nothing exactly according to plan. And the story that they were going to be talking about, a wedding where not everything went according to plan. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, we have the story of Jesus' first miracle, uh, turning the water into wine at a wedding, wedding in Cana. So they're in Cana, and we've been talking about the early apostles, disciples, as Jesus is gathering his apostles. And so he's been traveling around, but now he's up in Galilee, in Cana. And maybe this is a family wedding? The indications are it could be because Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, when they find out that the wine was gone, that would have been... a great embarrassment to the family, she jumps in. So she must have had some sense of responsibility for the situation. That's what makes me think a family wedding. Right. I think you're right on that. So she does. She jumps in and she comes to Jesus because she knows Jesus can do something about it. Maybe she didn't understand exactly what. I know I've had that situation where I'm, I have grown sons and I know sometimes I turn to them and it's sort of like, help, can you fix this? You're smart. Can you figure this out? I don't know if it was just that or if she had a sense that he could do a miracle. I wonder. Yeah. She just comes to Jesus and says in verse 3, they have no more wine. My imagination runs wild sometimes. I can imagine just Jesus, there's a moment of silence there. They have no more wine. And then she's waiting for Jesus to jump and solve the problem. But Jesus says, well, woman, why are you coming to me with this? My hour or my time has not yet come. 
Let me just insert here first, always, even as a young girl reading this verse, I thought, well, that's a funny way to talk to your mother, woman. Right. It's a term of endearment, actually. It's, I think it's how sons could, could or would address their mothers in that time, because in translation that I have here, it says, dear woman. So it's not just like, woman, but it's like, <laughs> dear woman. So it is a term of respect. It's not being, he's not being disrespectful. Okay, there's this problem, and he's saying, okay, I see that problem, but this is not my time. But it doesn't stop there, does it? It doesn't. And I like the way that John tells the story because, again, she just comes to Jesus and says, they have no more wine. Of course, Jesus knows what his mother is implying, and he says to her, my time has not yet come. And then Mary said, and Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'll take care of the problem. Mary just turns to the servants and just says, do whatever he tells you. She knows Jesus is going to solve the problem. And he does. There were six stone water jars, and normally they would use clay jars, but in this occasion there were stone jars. So they were bigger jars, and they were used, it says here, for ceremonial cleaning, purification. Jesus says, fill the jars with water, and they do. They do what Jesus says, and he says, then go take these to the master. So backing up just a minute, the wedding feast is going on. The guests have all been drinking wine. The party's gone on. They're not aware that there's no more wine yet, are they? It seems to me like they could be totally oblivious to this big problem going on back in the kitchens. I think we have just a few people aware of of the grave situation that's emerging here. We have Mary, of course. She's very much aware of what's going on. Jesus, of course, does. Now these servants are aware of what's going on. They're doing what Jesus says. And so they fill these jars up with water, and they take it to the, the, the head guy, the master of the feast, so he can taste it. And when he tasted it, wow, he was very surprised, to say the least. You know, if I was a servant taking that to that master of ceremonies, I think I would have been a little nervous. This was water. And then I'm taking this to the master. That, that would have been a little nerve-wracking. And what a relief to find out, actually, this isn't just good. This is really good. Really good. And when the servants were taking these jars of water, at this stage, they probably didn't realize this was turned into wine. They were just taking the water. And, of course, when the steward, the head guy, tasted it, wow, yeah, he tasted this is This is great wine. And there was plenty. I mean, this is not like a little bit, like a bottle of wine. These are big jars. And so this was plenty for the feast. And we go from having nothing to more than enough. Right. And I think that's uh, that's the point. One of the points we're to get from this is that Jesus provides more than enough. And this is Going back to the best wine, so the steward says it's the best wine. Normally, the best wine served first, and when the guests have drunk quite a bit, and then they can serve the cheaper wine. And But here is something out of the ordinary. The best wine is here served last. Oh, Jesus always does it best, doesn't he? Always. <laughs> you know, David, I just want to bring this point up because, I mean, myself, I'm a teetotaler. I don't, I don't ever drink any any alcohol. Um, there's, there are some of us around. (laughs) Um, but so when I read this at that time, there were people that drank wine and people that did not drink wine. 
Because I'm remembering earlier in a lesson, we talked about John the Baptist, and specifically the angel told John's father, Zechariah, that when this baby is born, he will will never drink wine. He is to never drink wine. So that's interesting. We Even in those times, there were people that did and people that did not drink alcohol. Right. I guess if I was outlining this story today, I mean, there are a number of ways you can do that. But what I had here is it opens with the situation or the problem out of wine at a wedding. So that would be in verses one and two. And then from verses 3 all the way down to 10, I guess you would say that's the solution, the miracle. Then this last part, isn't this amazing? This verse 11 kind of draws the meaning out of this. This is Jesus' first miracle. But it says here, so in Cana of Galilee, Jesus did his first miracle. There he showed his glory and his followers believed in him. Yes, that's how the story ends on this climax, and it points to really why Jesus came while he's here, to reveal his glory. We see that idea developing, and Jesus fully reveals his glory when he is hanging on a cross. One thing I I think we need to note and, and point out here is where it says Jesus did his first miracle. That word in the original language here is the word for sign, and a lot of translations translate it as a sign. Sign and miracle, are they're not exactly the same. All signs are miracles. A sign points away from itself. In John's gospel, there are seven miracles or seven signs, as he calls them. Each of these signs, and this is the first one, if you can imagine, they're all pointing their finger at Jesus. So there's something about this miracle that says something about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And it all points ultimately to the cross and his resurrection. In fact, at the end of the gospel, at the climax of the gospel, John states the purpose for writing the gospel here. He says many other signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, and there's, there's seven of them, and that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and that in believing, you may have life in his name. So however we're reading this story of Jesus turning the water to wine, it's more than just a demonstration of Jesus' power. It points to Jesus so that we can come to believe in him and in believing have the life that he offers to us. It's interesting that Jesus evidently had not performed a miracle, a sign before this time. And here we are at a wedding, and every miracle, every sign leads to belief, right? That's the whole purpose. It's not just a trick. It's not just to wow people. In fact, isn't it interesting, in this miracle, his first miracle, how many people actually knew? You know, because it was really just Mary, Jesus, those servants— and the disciples that were around him, just those direct people. That's right. It wasn't performed for a big crowd. At least at this point here, not even the steward who tasted it would have known what had happened. Right. I mean, this was not a big hurrah, but the ones who saw it believed. Right. And that was the purpose. So his disciples, his followers believed in him, and that's the whole purpose of the sign, as you mentioned. And as we go through the Gospel of John, these other signs, that his disciples continue to believe 
at a more deeper level. You know, one thing we haven't mentioned, David, I'm backing up a little bit, really, and I'm out of order, but where's Joseph? Well, we don't know exactly, do we? (laughs) Here's Mary, but it's as if Joseph appears in those first stories in the life of Jesus a lot. He really is a hero in a lot of ways in keeping Jesus safe as a child, as a baby, as a child, as a young man. He teaches them a trade. And then could he have died? I think that's the common understanding or assumption, because when Jesus begins his ministry, his mother Mary is with him and has conversation with him, but we don't ever read about Joseph. So I think the common understanding or assumption is that he must have died by this time. And Joseph probably was a lot older than Mary when they got married, because Mary was probably just a young, very young woman, maybe 13 or 14 years old. Joseph may have been, you know, 20 years her senior. And so in the lifespan was not as long as it is. today. It's probably a good assumption that Joseph had died by this time. So Mary continues to be a loving mother, really, into Jesus's adulthood. And then, of course, it's a preview, but she's with him to the last at the cross. So Mary is a very good mother. And in a way, I have to say, as a mother of adult sons, I mean, I'm getting the feeling here in these verses, she's pushing Jesus a little bit. She's pushing forward his, and saying, Jesus, you can solve this. She's sort of like gently nudging him forward. Yeah, she believes in Jesus. And I think that's a good point, that Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry, but really, I guess Mary pushes him over the edge to get about your business. <laughs> and he does. And he, he does what his mother asked him to do. He's obedient, even as an ad- adult son. He does what she asked him to do. He provides the wine more than enough, and Jesus is launched into his ministry. Not It almost sounds when you say that like against his will, but it's more just like the time is all hovering, and Mary's saying, let's do it now. You know, this, right. is, this is the beginning. It wasn't that he needed help doing it, but this was a nudge. And we find, like you mentioned here, he, she's at the very beginning of his ministry, kind of giving him the nudge, and as you mentioned— She's at the cross at the end, and so she kind of frames the beginning and end. She's with Jesus the whole time in his ministry. Loving, devoted mother. And the person writing about this is John. And he has a special friendship with Jesus as the years go by and with Mary, treating her as a mother, too. But I'm thinking about in my children's Bible class, the glitter You know, there's some things just to become familiar with the story. I mean, who doesn't love a wedding? I mean, I've brought things that little girls love to dress up like they're a bride in the wedding, and we reenact this. There's crafts you can do, even just a goblet, getting a cup and decorating it to make it very sparkly and pretty (laughs) as one of the goblets at the banquet. But those are all just kind of ways to become familiar with the story. But if you want to go a little deeper, especially for older children, if I'm teaching a series, if I'm talking about the life of Christ, I really like to have maybe a bulletin board or a poster or something, or even in a notebook where I start collecting pictures of, descriptions of the miracles that Jesus does. So this would just be the first one of that collection. Just And then maybe 
title that with John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. And in this version, I know you read it earlier, Jesus did many other miracles before his followers that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Then, by believing, you can have life through his name. So I I think it's important. John thought it was important that people learn about these miracles because they're going to lead to belief. So I would like children to start collecting those miracles, sort of a record of those miracles. That's a great idea. In an adult class, or uh, what comes to mind when you think of weddings? What emotions come to mind when you think of weddings? What are weddings signifying? And that's how you can begin the class. I think the mother of Jesus is important. I think we can spend some time thinking and reflecting on the mother of Jesus. We've done that a little bit in this conversation. But one interesting thing to note, at least it's interesting to me, is that in the Gospel of John, Jesus's mother is never called Mary, but always referred to as the mother of Jesus. And I think it would be interesting to go through the Gospel of John and just find and see every place where she's mentioned and just do some reflection on what we can learn about Mary as a follower of Jesus, because she is a follower of Jesus. And another thing we can think about here is the servants. There are often some of these characters are minor characters, but they can teach us as well. These servants don't say anything, but they're acting. Mary says, do what Jesus tells you to do. And so they do. They're obedient to what Jesus tells them to do. And then they're not aware of what Jesus is doing until they know there's water in these jars until the steward tastes it and says, wow, this is the best wine. Put yourself in the servant's shoes. How would you have responded to that? How would you have reacted? What would you be thinking about all of this now with your new understanding of that, wow, something wonderful has gone on here. We're talking about a wedding. Why don't the class get together and share a meal and everybody bring their best food and maybe you save the the best part of the meal to the very last. And then your best beverage or most favorite beverage or best dessert, save that to last. And then you can spend that time with discussing the story. Oh, that's fun. Now you're getting to the glitter, David, in your adult classes. I like that. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us for this podcast today. I know David and I always, we have all these discussions before we start, and they're always interesting (laughs) as we come to decide what we're going to talk about. But we hope that this Bible study today, looking into the Scripture, will help you think about more about what happened Think about how you feel about that. Give it some contemplation. And then you'll take those new thoughts into your teaching so that you can actually share with children the Word of God. Thank you so much for listening today. And may God bless you as you continue to speak into the lives of children. Thank you for listening to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast. Subscribe now to listen to new weekly episodes and visit missionbibleclass.org for more free resources to help you share God's Word with children.